Good morning, church. Good morning. You know, it's, it's a change in our schedule when we have to wake up early, but that's good for us, right? And you have the whole afternoon just to continue worship and praise God, right, and, and dive in, in His Word. It is an amazing privilege for me to stand before you, not because I'm greater or smarter, you know, but because God has allowed to us to do different things in the church. And uh, I would ask you to excuse my glasses I'm going to put on and put off. You know, I thought gray hair comes with wisdom, but sometimes gray hair comes alone. You know, and I do not know everything that I wrote even, so I need to read. We are continuing our series on the church and the reason why we want to do that is to come uh, to the same page. We want to be on the same page concerning who we are as a church. What is our purpose in life? And last time we spent just thinking, what's the priority of the church? And the first, the very fundamental thing for the church to do that assigned for God, by God, is to be the pillar and the support of the truth. These are the parameters. The truth are parameters. The step away from this, and we are in the ocean of uncertainty. We want to be an objective truth, and the job for the church, the primary job for the church, that from this place, from the pulpit, and from every place that we teach, that we would uphold Jesus Christ and his truth. That is number one. If we deviate from this, it doesn't matter what we do. Evangelism goes corrupt, edification goes corrupt because we will teach and use something that is not in the truth. God assigned to us to uphold the truth as the church. This is the church that upholds the truth. So I hope that we come to this conclusion together that is very important and we dive in into our Bible so we know what to uplift. For this morning, the second purpose, and you could see on your screen, the God's purpose for the church is edification. And we'll dive in from that, from chapter 4 of Ephesians, and I will try to explain and see what are we here to do. We are to build one another up. We are to build one another up. Please read with me in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start with chapter verse 7. And go down to verse 16. Our verses, though, would be 14, 15, and 16. And just as a context, as Neil read to us, we read, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascends on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who is ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is the reading of God's word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. We 
blessed by you to have the scripture to tell us what to do. We are not left alone without guidance and without prescription, without clear, defined, and carved way for the church. And this is what you're telling us, that you're going to build the church in your likings, in the liking of, a likeness of Christ Jesus, and that we have part in it. May you bless us, Lord, to look at the scripture. Bless me and bless my heart to, to just deliver the message and proclaim the message what is meant by you and by the Holy Spirit and written by Apostle Paul so that we will be and have benefit from these verses so that our church will be built up in the program of God and for the glory of God. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if I ask you this morning question, fast forward in your ministry, wherever you are, fast forward 20, 30 years. For some of you, maybe it's 20, maybe 40, maybe it's 50, how long God will allow you. But to the end of your ministry, just fast forward. What are you trying to achieve? That would set us up really good for thinking, what are we doing in the church? Like when you come to the church, what are you trying to achieve? What are you actually working for? What's the goal? And I'm praising God that we're not left just for, you know, to figure it out on our own, but he clearly, clearly tells us what to aim for. The church exists for the glory of God, but the way how God brings the glory is through maturity. This is what God wants to bring to us. He wants to bring us to maturity. I hope this is your goal in your ministry when you're ministering. And by the way, if you're not ministering, then you're not obeying and you're not part of the active involvement in the church. You have to be ministering. Everyone is ministering. Whatever you find yourself as a wife, as a husband, as a Sunday school teacher, what are you trying to achieve? And Jesus told us that he's going to build his church for sure. And he will build his church. And the, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. But he will build this church through you. He will build this church. Christ will build his church, but he will build his church through you. And we better know, as good masons, what to do and what are we building. So fast forward in your ministry. I hope this is the goal that you want to bring people to maturity, to mature state. It's not difference really from your training your kids. I hope this is your goal in training kids, right? And kids, by the way, just a you know, secret for you that your mom and dad wants you out from house, right? At some point, they want you out. That's why you go to school, so that you could learn things, right? That you could sustain yourself, support yourself, that you could make right decisions, that you know who to marry, you know, where to work, provide for yourself. That's the goal. And they want you to kick you out nicely, kindly, but they don't want you to sit around at age 34 at the table and say, Mama, where's my chicken? Maturity is the goal. Everywhere, Paul and, and apostles strive us to earn and uh, to strive to maturity. They urge us to strive to maturity. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, he says, we'll press on to maturity. We have to be a mature church. If we want to have any, 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 any part in God's plan and, and achieve his goal, we have to be a mature church. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us about this maturity, and not as so much as individual maturity, as you grow in individually in Christ, as you sanctify yourself, as you go and, and, and apply the scripture to your own heart, but as a church, as a church, as a congregation. This is why he says the body, the body of Christ, the body has to come to maturity. That is why he gives us the gifts and the gifted people to bring us to maturity. That is the goal. And if you have anything else, then you're probably missing the point, right? Probably missing the point. You're going to church for some other reason, building uh, something else up. Now, the reason why I say in this verse is verse 14, 15, and 16, they're in context of building up. Another word for edification would be building up. Everywhere where you find word building up, it is a substitute for the word edify. It makes you capable, able. I'll give you a definition. The, 
the dictionary definition to edify, it to instruct, to implore, especially in moral and religious knowledge. According to the Vines Expository Dictionary of all in the New Testament, it says this, that the word promotes spiritual growth and development of character of believers by teaching or by example, suggesting such spiritual progress as the result of patient labor. What this definition is says that you are here to build the church. Christ will build his church, but he will build it through you. And that is an amazing privilege to be participating in God's building his church, his body through you and every one of us, every one of us, no matter you're on stage or down there, you have a role to play and plan how to build this church. Simply put, to edify, meaning to build something up. The Bible tells us that this is our prerogative in the church. Everywhere in scripture, I'll just give you a few. Romans 14, 19, it says, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We have this goal. We're building the structure of God's church when you are having part of building one another up. Romans 15, 2 says, each of us to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Building up. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceeds from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification or building one another up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. This is a mandate for the church, build one another up. When you speak, when you sing, when you preach, when you teach, when you just say hi, have this attitude, I want to build you up. That would be great, right? This is the edification for the church. In the context of these verses, you could see, look with me, chapter 4, verses 12 and verse 16. You see the sandwich of this building is up. God gives all the gifted people and all the gifted pastors and teachers and apostles. And for what? It says, for the equipment of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up. Building up. This is why all the gifts are existent, for building up the church. Go down to chapter, verse 16. The sandwich is, it's saying that from whom the whole body from Christ being lifted, been fitted and held together by every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the main verb in this text, causes the growth of the body for what? What is the purpose for the building up of itself in love? This is the purpose for us, build one another up. And if we just come to the church, you are not building up. And if you're not building up, let me suggest that you're tearing things down. There are only two types of people in the church, people who are building up and investing and people who are sucking things up and never invest. And by this very definition, they are destroying the church. So I want you plead with you that you be in the first group where you add everything, every giftedness, find out where you are and not be discouraged, but just try to build up like Christ did. And the way how Christ built his church, he went down and he built this church on his own body. He went down and he died. That's how he built the church. It's not that he calls us from the high up and says, come on over here, I will build you up. He went down, died on the cross, paid for our sins, and he lift us up. Yes, we are as a congregation lifting Jesus up and he's glorious. But Jesus lifts us up and that's how he built. And this is what he's calling us to do. Here's the blueprint for a maturing church. Christ, when I build his church, by using you. Now, let's look at these passages, this passage from the standpoint of, of what does it involve in building up? How does, what does a maturing church, and I don't say a mature church, a maturing church looks like? Because if you say that we are a mature church, that's a very proud statement. Right. If you say our church is the best in town, 
that is, it is just not simply not true. This is a very proud statement. I hope we're never going to say this. Our church is the best in town. How do you know? Did you check all the churches? And by the way, this is a very high and puffed view of yourself. No, we, are, we could say we're a maturing church. We're a growing church. And how do we know that we are a growing church? How do we know that we are in this edification and the building up and the construction process by God? It's by following basically those four aspects. Now, I'll give you this. As a maturing church, we must never stop growing in four aspects. Number one, doctrinal discernment. A maturing church grows in a doctrinal discernment. Number two, a maturing church growing in love and declaration. Number three, maturing church growing in resemblance of Christ. And number four, a maturing church is growing in the contribution of each members to the building itself up in love. So I'll repeat those. Number one, from verses 13 and 14, a maturing church, first of all, and that's a kind of the arch, never stop growing. We never say that we're a mature church and we're done. It's, you're never growing. It doesn't matter. You have the university degree. You take your Greek and Hebrews. You never stop growing. It doesn't matter. Individual, but as a church also. Because in verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of faith. There's a word, until, meaning that we are in the process, that we didn't arrive yet. Stop growing today and you stop living tomorrow, basically. You, you're not going to live because if you're not growing, you're not living. You're dead. So we must grow until we all attain to the unity of faith. It's not one shot. It's not one class. It's not one systematic theology course. It is the process. We are in the process. We are built, built up by Jesus Christ and we are participating, building one another. And you never say, hey, enough of it, brother. I've just got enough truth already. You need to build, be built up until Jesus will come. That never stops. And therefore, we need to be patient. Many wants to attend a perfect church, right? Perfect church. I'm just going to find a perfect church. Well, what do you mean by this? A perfect, a mature, complete? There's no church like this. Everywhere you go, you bring the problem. You're there, and that's why the church is not perfect, right? Our church is not perfect because we're all here. So it's a process. But Paul says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, there's objective why and what we're striving for to be grown in two things, the unity of faith and the knowledge of Christ. This is the maturity of us, that as a church we come to one page, and the one page and we know what we believe. We believe in the same statement of faith. Believe in the same doctrines and having the same experience. Now, well, let me break down for you here. There's the unity of faith and there's the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Usually, when we talk about faith, you think about believing, your personal belief, right? You believe in things and you have a personal experience of faith and trust in Jesus. And we're talking about knowledge, usually about some kind of theory, theology, knowledge that I have to attain to some box of, of, of essentials. In this text, there are actually reverse. When we're talking about the faith, it says the faith, meaning that this is the standard, the systematic faith of, of, that was granted to us from the apostles. In this very same sense, Jude 3 says, Beloved, while we are, I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. So the faith was given to you. It's something that you would find in our statement of faith. This is our expression, what we believe. It's objective truth. But when we're talking about knowledge, we're talking about the knowledge, intimate personal knowledge and experience of believing in Jesus, right? The, in this sense, the devil has the knowledge of, of God. He has this body of doctrines. He believes in them, no problem. But the problem is that he doesn't trust Jesus for his salvation. So demons are believing in, in, in Jesus, but they are not really trusting Jesus. So they have this body of faith or definition of faith, but they don't have personal relationship with Christ. And so what Paul's saying here, 
saying that I want you to have come to the, on the same page doctrinally, but also experientially that all of us believe and trust Jesus equally. And we're on the same page that we trust in him, that he's our, the son of God. He's our savior who died for us and he has a plan for our lives. And then we walk in unison. That's what he's saying, that you never stop growing in that. Now, I want to address one quickly, one thing. The problem with this unison thing is often disrupted by our wrong view of church. We think of church that, you know, they're there. The, those people who are serving and ministering, like those apostles and, and, and evangelists and pastor teachers, right, and prophets, the, the, there are those people, special people, they're qualified people, they have giftedness people, and, and here are we. We are, we are just sheep, you know, just following, and, and that's our job. Our job is basically to affirm the leaders and to follow leaders, whatever they, they say. Well, and it comes from the kind of historical interpretation of this passage in verse 12. If you look with me, there's a comma. I want to bring your attention to a comma that is not here in NASB, but if you have a, an old King James version that is, there is, there's one comma that kind of messed this things whole up. It says that, Verse 11, and he gave us some as apostles and as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints. And here's the comma that used to be in the Bible that kind of gave the interpretation of this separation for laity and the clergy. Saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, if you put their comma, this is what happens. That Christ gave people as apostles and the teachers for the equipment of the church, comma, for the worker of the service, meaning that apostles and teachers and the prophets, they have to do everything. They have to edify people and they have to work in the service. And the rest of the people just do what? They're just being built up. Well, that's not the case. Job of the leaders is to edify you and to, and to input in you and to give you the opportunity and ability to serve. That's the job. Job of a leader is not to make a work, everything work. And job of a leader is to empower you so you could work. So you could start building things up. And so this idea that we'll never stop growing until we all attain, there's, we come and grow in unity as everyone, you know, pastors, teachers, doesn't matter. We are on the same page in that regard that we are edifying and we give you the, the ability to, and to strength and power to work, give you knowledge, so why? So that you could work, not just sit down and listen to us all the time. So this is an unbiblical separation. So first of all, a mature church needs to understand that we actually in the process of building each other up. Now, number two, a mature church is growing in doctrinal discernment. And that's why in verse 14, he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children. Now, who doesn't love children? Children are the blessings from God, right? They are great. They are adorable. They are cute. But we don't want to, as I said, have them all our years around, right? Those who are grandma and grandpa understand us. They are just having the, you know, the way of their lives today, right? They're just enjoying the life because they don't have to worry in diapers and stuff. They already did the job, and, and that is good. And that is, they, they achieved it. We want children to grow up. And Paul said, a maturing church needs to have strive to growing up into discernment what is right and what is wrong. We need to be growing in that aspect. And he uses this illustration, children, actually, as if children would be sitting in some kind of boat on a lake, and they were tossed by and thrown in the lake. I mean, what's the, what's the horrible situation when a child sits in the boat and he was tossed in the lake right in front without a pilot, without rudder, without the guide, without a map? Where does he go? Nowhere, from one part to another. The boat that does not have an anchor or rudder or a pilot or a mop simply tossed in the sea of the uncertainty. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be a church who doesn't have a discernment in what is true. 
Now, if someone says this, right, this, the Seventh-day Adventist says this, that we need to keep the Sabbath, and all of a sudden, you are swayed. Maybe right. Maybe you know, like, we don't have to eat the pork. And you're swayed from one to another, and you're unstable. It's why? Well, because you have no anchor at that particular doctrines. And he said, listen, not every wind of doctrine you have to accept. The wind that blows right and left suggests that everyone who, who is unstable would be carried away by it. And that's why he said, you need to come to the unity of faith. You need to have this anchor in the Bible. Now, how, what does it look, the, the childlike church? Childlike church looks, number one, first of all, is unstable. It is unstable. It's like the tossed by the boat at the sea. The second thing, that is ignorant. It doesn't know. It just simply doesn't have the anchor where to put what's, what's the body of truth that you have to believe. I like how Lloyd-Jones puts this. He says, children invariably enjoy entertainment and showmanship. Many of the religious hucksters parading on TV draw in untaught Christians like a barker at the circus lures people to pay to see the freak show. Although these teachers brazenly deny essential biblical truth, people send them money in the hopes of being healed and having serious problem results. Although these false teachers flaunt expensive watches and jewelry, poor people send them more money to buy a new personal jet airliner. It's incredible. It all stems from, it all stems from a lack of doctrinal discernment. And Jesus said, you shouldn't be like children. You should know what the scripture says and should know the truth, and should not be way uh, moved by the every wind of doctrine. And a maturing church, on the other hand, in verse 14 says, that it recognized the false teaching, recognized the false teachings, recognized the trickery and the schemes of men. Literally word here for trickery of men, meaning playing dice from cube or cubia, meaning that you have a dice and playing, and, and you know, the tr Sometimes I like to watch a, a magic show, but I know that there's no magic in it, right? There's just like a trick. And every, every time I get fooled, but I know that it's a, it's, a, it's a fool's show, right? And I'm gonna get fooled. But many people come to the doctrines in the same way that people have tricks in their, on their sleeves. And they were cheating. Paul probably observed the cheating dice playing among the sailors, and he spent a lot of traveling. And he sees that, and he used this illustration saying, as a trick, these people use a trick to mislead you from the truth. How do they do that? Well, it's how you do it with your children. Children are easily manipulated, right? If they don't want to do something, you just say, hey, well, I'll give you ice cream cone, and, and they're going to do it, right? You just manipulate, you just go to the directly to their heart and what they, you know, what they want to have. And so tricksters, they do the same. You wanna be prosperous, you wanna be successful, great, we're gonna give you that. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna pull this rabbit out of the hat, no problem. You know, we will find the verses for you that would kinda match our idea. And, and they would trick people, it's, um, it's amazing. Mind-blowing how many people actually been tricked. The reason why people are tricked, number one, they're ignorant what the Bible says. Number two, they just want it. we just prone to do things because they're free and they're cheap. If someone offer us the, the free and, and, and the cheap stuff, we're going to get it. And the Bible tells us, hey, don't go with the, with the rubber. Don't just go for the easy prey. Work hard. And, and it's attractive to people. Those people, they're unstable because they love cheap and easy things. We shouldn't be that way. And it's like those cat and a fox in the Pinocchio, st Pinocchio story, right? You just, you know, you just take the hole, put the, some coins there, and overnight you're going to be rich. I mean, if you put it down this theology, this comes down to Pinocchio theology, right? Now, these people are cunning, and we recognize these cunning people. That's the first thing that the trickery of men, verse 14, and second, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Those guys, they just don't, I'm just wondering, like, what are they doing during the day? Like, okay, they come on Sunday night or Sunday morning, and they preach this, this you know, hoax and folks uh, uh, doctrine of prosperity gospel, and how, uh, what do they do? Well, it's, it says here, they're scheming. 
They're scheming. They're planning. They're not just sitting on their yacht. They're planning for the next trick to pull. And the craftiness and the schemes are talking about the planning, the deceitful scheming, and nothing less than a careful plan attack. Bank robbery doesn't just happen. You know, just person, so I, I mean, I have a, a bank robbery. It's a planned thing. And by this, we recognize by, that behind every false teaching, there's a false man or false teacher. And behind every false teacher, there's a demonic power that allows him to do so. And you can recognize by those two words, craftiness and scheme. If I just tell you this, craftiness and scheme, what does that remind you of? Right? There is a, there is a, a snake, a serpent who was craftier than every beast of the field. Right? That reminds us Satan. He was a craftier. He's really, really smart. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, talking about the scheme, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And Paul in Corinthians says, though, we know the schemes of the devil. I mean, we're not ignorant. We know the, the, the plan of God. We know that we want to be built up in Christ, and we know that the devil wants to rob us in every possible way. So behind every false teaching, it's, a, it's, it's man. Behind every false teacher, there's a supernatural evil power of Satan. Don't take it lightly. Is this good reason to study the Bible for us so that we'd not be tricked by people and sway? Sometimes it's very obvious, sometimes it's not. Now, this is number two. Number three, a maturing church must never stop growing in doctrinal discernment, but number two, in love and declaration. So in verse 15, it says, but. Instead of just being, way, we, we just sway by the false teaching and false teachers, we must be able to recognize what the truth is and proclaim it. Not only recognize it and learn it for yourself, but also to proclaim it and to talk to one another. And it says, but speaking the truth in love. If you have Russian version, there's a little bit confusion there, but that's what it means. There's a participle, meaning that you have to speak the truth. It's a one word. It's like you say singing a song, right? True, truthing the truth. You would speak in the truth. You're not, it's a one word. You, you're proclaiming the truth, meaning that whenever you speak, it's given that you should tell the truth. That's a given for sure. And the qualification, how you should tell this truth is by loving, which is given this in love. But first of all, I mean, speaking the truth, meaning that there's nothing else we should speak. We should speak the truth. Now, we use this verse in counseling a lot, right? Wife, husband, you should speak the truth, you know, to one another, communication and stuff. But the, the point of this passage is the main point of this passage is that we should proclaim the truth of God. Proclaim the gospel. Every time you teach, proclaim the truth of God. Every time you sing, proclaim the truth of God. Every time you talk with someone, talk truth of God. Because the truth of God really what sanctifies us. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We have to speak the truth. In other words, there's a box of essentials that has to never leave our head. We should speak of knowledge of the essentials. We can disagree on everything and, and many things, but there are essential things that God is Trinity, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Son of Man. You could never deviate from that. Now, it doesn't say that you should always speak the truth and we have to be united at every point. Like if you're premillennial, amillennialist, we have to come to the same point. That's why when you read our statement of faith, we say that we teach. That's what we teach. We want you to, be believe, to believe what we believe, but you have the freedom to understand certain passages differently until the Lord will come, and it will explain. I like how Augustine says that there's essential unity in, and yet non-essential liberty. And, but all things must be done in charity. So we should do, we should have some freedom in understanding of the Scripture not about the essentials, about secondary issues. But yet we should love one another nevertheless. 
Now, he's talking about the speaking, the truth, love, and declaration that we should have a love talk. Whenever you speak these essentials, you should do it with a very, very careful, crafted way of loving people. You just can't drop the bomb. All right, I'm not just going to drop the bomb and let the word do. Let the lion out of the cage and he's going to do this. No, you bring it in a certain way so that it would be attractive. Listen, truth is important, but it must be speaking love. Because I would say this, if you speak the truth in love, you don't speak the whole truth. You just don't. You're like Jonah who preached half truth. He said, 40 more days and Nineveh would be destroyed. Is that the whole truth? Well, there was another side of this that we preach loving God who is ready to forgive if you ask. Isn't that the, the whole book of Jeremiah? He said, tell them, tell them that they, if they repent, I will repent. I will relent of the evil that I promised to them. That's another si huge side of God, that he's love. When you preach the holy God and you forget to mention that he's loving God, you preach in half of the gospel. Now, we don't, I hope we don't teach our children this way. It's like, you're a miserable sinner, you're going to hell, right? If you want this candy, well, you just you have to repent now. We just, we tell them there's a loving God. I had a situation today with my little one. She didn't want to dress up for the Sunday school. She wanted to be comfy. Yeah, I want to be comfy. And I said, well, and she's crying, all emotional. And I said, do you want to be happy? She said, yes, I, that what makes me happy. I said, well, let me show you the other way that God loves you and he wants you to be happy through obedience. How about that? She said, well, I'll try that. So she obeyed and, and I said, well, are you happy? She said, yes. So we don't have to proclaim the, the, the damnation on the children right away, right? There's a truth in that, but we should bring the love in God that he cares. The phrase is in love, by the way, repeated six times in Ephesians. Six times. In chapter 1, verse 4, says, Just as he chose us, going way back to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, our election was done in love. In chapter 3, verse 17, we read, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Chapter 4, verse 2, it says that I, I, I urge you, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, which, with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in what? In love. And verse 14 we have says, here by speaking the truth, in love, in chapter 5, verse 1, and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved you. I mean, there's, it's a key word. Don't just speak the truth. Don't just drop the bomb, but do it in love. That would be attractive. So the maturing church is discerning church, the one who's growing and discerning what's the false teaching, what's the right teaching, and a maturing church is growing in love, in love and declaration of the truth. Number three here, a maturing church must never stop growing in resembling Christ. Might be less obvious from the text, but in verse 15 it says that we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Listen, we have a perfect head, is Christ. He doesn't have to grow up, he's mature. The problem is that the body is immature. It needs to grow up and be complete and be whole and be useful. That's what he's saying here, that we have to resemble Christ. But in one, one very, aspect, very, very key aspect that we need to be like Christ, he's perfect. He's perfect in every way. But in one particular way, he's, he's, he's an example for us. He, uh, he had his father as his head. He has his father, as he said. The body has as his head, as, as the body's head, is Christ. Meaning that Christ is make all the shots. He is the ruler. He is the king. 
And Christ said, well, how about you resemble me, how I subjected myself to the Father. Being totally equal to the Father, I have subjected myself to him. This resemblance is more than just to come to perfection. It's, it's, it starts in your addressing him as the head, as the source, and as the authority, and you subject yourself under him. Like in John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sends me. And so that's why he said, you have to grow up in all aspects, meaning that everywhere you go in life, you have to have had, Christ as head. You just, you just can't wing it. You just, you just put him first, right? Bringing all areas into submission to him like he did it to his father. We're no longer children being whining about this or that. You know, we have small house, we have the bad car, you know, just everything must be submitted. All our emotions should be submitted. Our schedule should be submitted. Our relationship should be submitted. Mary or not Mary decision should be submitted. We, are ha we have a headquarter of God to whom every right belongs. And as a mature in church, we grow. We're winging a lot. We're doing things a lot as, as, as our, our own head tells us. But as a church united, we have the body of truth to submit ourselves under the rulership of Christ. He gives us the direction. Number four, a mature church is growing in contribution by every member. Verse 16, it's a very hard verse to unpack, but it says really simple thing that everyone has a role to play. Everyone. Christ is building his body through you. Number one, Christ is uniting us as under his source and under his authority so that he could use all of us. He says, verse 16, from whom, from Christ, the head, the whole body being fitted and held together. Now, these are two participles that are passive, that we are being held together and joined together. We are being fitted together. The picture is referring to a constructor worker who takes the stones and put them down together. It's probably the better picture of, of this church is a Gothic arch. Anybody, everybody knows what the Gothic arch looks like? It's kind of like this, and they build the churches in this particular way. And they're built from, the, from different, they didn't have a concrete there, but they, they have rocks. And they didn't have much of, the, of, uh, of glues, and they just put rocks and fit it all together in a way that it all holds itself up. Christ is the one who puts us all together. We are being fit together. We are being fit together in a large structure of Christ where we have only one glue, one another. We're resting in one another. We need one another. And we have been fit together by God. We have been held together, metaphorically speaking, to being bring to terms. And as a mason, he takes and shuffles and, 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 and chiseled the rocks so that they could fit actually together. And as a church, we're also being fit to one another. He gives us gifts so we could serve one another, but he also works with us so we could be fitted appropriately to the structure of Christ's church. It's not that you're doing this work. He says here, verse 16, for from whom the whole body being fit and held together. Christ is the one who does the work. Now that everyone participates in this. We're not just being passive in all this deal. Well, he builds the church, he, he does it all, but he does it through you. And it says that he causes the growth in verse 16. How? By what every joint supplies according to the proper working of individual part. Every one of us has a role to play and to be connected to one another. We have been given an assignment and the giftedness to serve, to build one another up. And contact between the people who are being gifted is happened by ministering. This is the glue what, what, we, what we are expressing and experiencing in the church. It's not that you are so beautiful and so good and you're so gifted. You will be useless and there would be no joints at all if you don't put this at work. 
And the word, word joins here supplies, meaning your ministry. It's not you particularly, but what you do. It's your ministry. Joints, you know, like everything has joints and moves. It only moves when, when it has joints. So you have a part, I have a part to play, but we're going to rub one another sharp edges if we're not ministering to one another. The ministry is here. So Christ gave you the ministry, and if you just sit there, sit there and don't minister, this gift is rotten. It doesn't, you know, it's not, doesn't good any, it doesn't do any good. You need to put it to work. This joins becomes join and useful and supplies the proper thing when you start working. Every joins. You know, doctors and health advisors tell us that the body enjoys good health when every organ working properly, right? The dead body has all the parts, the heart, the liver, the lungs. It just, the problem is that they don't work, right? They don't work. So if you have the gift and you have the name, but you don't work, then that the body doesn't work. So you have the role to play. Each individual part has to be properly working. In other words, meaning that the properly working, you have been measured the gift and the ability to serve. Not everybody is the same. You have to figure out what your giftedness is and what you're able to. I'm not shooting very high, you know, writing books and just going to different conferences. It's not my place. My place is to serve people like you. And your place is here. So we are finding out where God wants to use us and start working in this. And body is growing as a result of this. The growth of the church, MacArthur says, is not a result of clever methods but of every member of the body fully using their spiritual gift in close contact with each other. Christ is the source of the life and power and growth of the church, which he facilitates through each believer's gifts and mutually ministry, mutual ministry and joins touching one uh, other believers. The power of the church flows from the Lord through individual believers and relationship between the believers. So, he holds us together, he fits us together, he makes us fit in one body, but then he wants us to work and to become this join that supplies according to the measurement that he gives. As I was studying, I'd come across this poem when we could ask ourselves, I mean, what are we doing in the church? What is our goal for the church? As we're building one another up, in the poem called Dead Weight. I've been a dead weight many years around the church's neck. I've let the others carry me and always pay the check. I've had my name upon the rolls for years and years gone by. I've criticized and grumbled too. Nothing could satisfy. I've been a dead weight long enough upon the church's back. Beginning now, I'm going to take a wholly different track. I'm going to pay and pray and work and carry loads instead and not have other carry me like people do the dead. Well, that's not the goal for our church, right? The goal for our church is actually to, to grow up and to build one another up. Why is this all maturing stuff? So we could grow up and build itself up in love. Is the purpose is clear. The purpose is we need to be a mature church. And the sphere, as he ends up here, he said the sphere, nothing could happen apart from loving one another. This is how we ultimately could test if we are growing, maturing church, is if we're loving one another. I like how Moody once said, he said, a man can be a good doctor without loving his patient, or a good lawyer without loving his clients, or a good geologist without loving rocks. But a man cannot be a good Christian without love. Just impossible. We cannot build anything. We cannot progress. We cannot come to maturity. You can't raise your kids. You can't do the Bible study. We can, you can do the Sunday school ministry. You can't do the media ministry. You can do nothing and grow apart from love. This is ultimate test of maturity. Is our church a loving church? And love would say that I have the giftedness and I will put myself aside and serve you so that you grow up. 
that you build up. And as we do it together, our church grows up. And this is the church that grows in unison to one accord. We have one Lord, one Baptist, one word of God, one purpose. We're building one another up. I remember back in seminary when I was just drinking this wealth of knowledge from these old men and Bible that I'm reading. And I, I figured out after a couple of years that I left my family behind and that I'm growing all right, but my family is not even doing Bible studies and worship and I just dropped them. So when the, the church is growing unproportionally and the hand is grows like, you know, five feet long, but the whole body is just like, it is dysfunction, disproportional. We're all, and this is a corporate thing. We're working together, building one another up, looking for the weak people, not condescending, but lifting them up like Jesus. Again, how, he, how did he build his church? By lifting people up. As a mature in church, we have all in one ingredient is love. Christ wants to build his church, and he's going to build it through you. So as a mature in church, we must never stop growing in these aspects. Doctrinal discernment, love and declaration, resemblance of Jesus Christ, and contribution by each member to building one another up. And we must do it in a sphere of love. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness toward us for your love, and that you are not done with us and we are under construction. Help us, Lord, to bring the glory of God through maturing, that we won't be like a baby, that we'll be mature, that we'll grow like a one unit, one organ, organism, promote God's truth, instruct God's people to serve in the body. And when the diverse and the gifted congregation would operate as one, for one purpose and functioning in love, this will bring glory to God. Equip us, Lord. Help us to know our place, our job description. Help us never to forget that we should invest in one another, for this is your plan for the church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.